Good morning. Mike Buford was kind enough to remind me of the last time that Zach and I were up here preaching and the alarms were going off about every five or ten minutes. And he says, do you want me to go turn it back on since that's what you're used to? And for your sake, I'm glad he's not. But uh, (laughs) it's good to see every one of you here this morning to see a room full of God's people. And I have to admit, I was a little worried. It's spring break and daylight savings time at the same time. But you are here and I'm thankful for that. It's always good to see a full room. And, and we like things that are full. We, don't li- we like full bank accounts. We like full cupboards. We like fa- uh, houses full of our family. We like things that are full. We don't th- like to see things decrease. We don't like to see numbers go down because it makes us feel a little sad, a little upset. And our message this morning begins kind of on a sour note. See, the Christian Chronicle came out with an unsettling article this past week. You see, they were reporting on the upcoming release of the 2015 edition of the book Churches of Christ in the United States. And what this book does is it reports every year the number of churches of Christ and the number of people that are attending in the United States. And the reason that this article is unsettling is it reports once again that numbers are down. Churches are closing their doors. People are walking away from the faith. And numbers are going down. See, since 1990, the United States has grown from 250 million people to 320 million and is the third largest country in the world. It's a growth of a little over 25% in 25 years. But during that same 25-year period, the churches of Christ have dropped 7.8%. It's this knowledge, although it's unsettling, it's no surprise. We hear this message all all over the United States that the churches are closing their doors, that people are walking away. Why can't we get people to come to faith? But I don't want to be paint this picture of gloom and doom because although the numbers are dwindling here, the kingdom of God is growing. Places like China and India and the whole continent of Africa, people are coming to faith and knowledge of God and the kingdom is growing. God is still working faithfully and powerfully in the world. But when we look here back home, When we look in our cities, when we look at our nation, it's almost like a dark cloud's hanging around. And as we look out into the future, we wonder, what is at stake for the people of God? We get a similar feeling when we look at the ministry of Jesus in in, uh, chapters 8 and 9 of Luke. You see, Jesus is going out and he's preaching this great word. He's doing great signs and wonders. He's casting out demons. He's healing little girls. He's bringing back people from the dead. People are coming to him from all over the countryside, listening to him teach these great sermons, and he's feeding all of them, like the feeding of the 5,000. He's saying that he has abundant life, and it's evident through his works, through his words, and through his deeds. But in chapter 9, we get a little bit different message. No, it doesn't change, but Jesus begins to teach something new. After they confess him as Christ, Jesus begins to teach that he's going to Jerusalem, and there he's going to die. And people begin to walk away. Jesus says, not only am I going there to die, but anyone who comes after me needs to take up his cross, and he needs to follow me. Numbers begin to trickle away. 
And at the end of chapter 9, we're given this picture of an entire Samaritan town rejecting Jesus. And there's arguing amongst his disciples. And it's in that context of numbers dwindling, of arguments arising within the very people of God, that Jesus begins to send out the 72. Let's read our text this morning from Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, beg to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. And whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come upon you. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And I tell you that it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades, because the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. First thing we notice about this mission of the 72 is that it didn't begin with a big fundraiser. I'm sure several of you have been on big mission trips where you have to gather together, you have to say where you're going, you have to plan out all the travel arrangements, you have to make this big push for fundraising, we have all these events where we raise money, but this particular mission doesn't begin with big planning, it doesn't uh, begin with big fundraisers, it begins with something that seems so simple, something so small, but oftentimes it's forgotten. It begins with the command to pray. In light of the article that I read from the Christian Chronicle, I read another article that was, came out the same week from Tom Rainier, and he was asking the question, why does it seem like churches are less evangelistic than they used to be? And he put it out there for different people on his blog and for Twitter to answer, and he compiled a list of 15 answers. And the one that stuck out to me the most was this. It says, one of the reasons was that our churches are no longer houses of prayer equipped to reach the lost. So I have to ask the question, have we forgot to tap into our biggest and most abundant resource? See, Jesus was a man of prayer. When we associate prayer, we typically associate it with Jesus because when he spoke, things happened. When when he wanted to make a big decision, he went off to be with God so he could pray about it. When he prayed, things happened. And so if you wanted to pray and learn how to pray, you came and sat at the feet of the master. So when we associate prayer with Jesus, we typically associate it with the disciples coming and sitting at Jesus' feet and saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. And it's in that context that he gives us the Lord's prayer and he teaches us how to pray. But although that prayer is the one often associated with Jesus, we often forget that the one he commands us to pray is at the beginning of chapter 10. God, send forth laborers into your vineyard. 
I want to read this together aloud. God, send forth laborers into your harvest. Let's say it one more time. God, send forth laborers into your harvest. This week I went and visited Larry McKenzie. Now, I know not all of you may know Larry, but Larry's been a part of Highland for a long time. He stood up here uh, last week, I think, and, and was, it was one of his first times back here at, uh, at Highland after he was recovering from his heart attack. And he sat up here and he, he talked about uh, his box of letters that he received, over 200 letters from people here at Highland, just saying how much that they meant to him. And he showed me those letters uh, this past week, and they sit on his coffee table, and he says, they will not move until I go. He says, it's good to know that people are thinking and praying about me. And I began to think about all the people that Larry's prayed for. All the people that he's visited in the hospital. You see, because Larry is a man of prayer. And he would probably hate that I'm drawing attention to him. But I'm thankful for Larry and his ministry of prayer. And as I was sitting in an apartment this week, we were talking about this passage in Luke chapter 10. And what it means. And he told me the story of Joe Cannon teaching him to pray this prayer. See, Joe Cannon was a missionary in Japan and Papua New Guinea and all sorts of other places, and he lived by prayer. He knew the importance of prayer, especially for missions, and he taught Larry the importance of this prayer. And Larry said that this, this encounter with Joe changed his life and it changed his ministry because every day he gets to say this prayer and participate in the mission of God. Every second Sunday, uh, he goes to Kirby Pines and, and he either helps preach or leads prayers or does communion. But at the end of the Kirby Pines service, he gets up and he quotes several passages of Scripture. And one of them is from Matthew. And he, sa- he always says, beg the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his vineyard, into his harvest. At staff meetings, when he's praying, you can't have a prayer with Larry McKenzie without him saying this line because he believes with all his heart that when we pray this prayer that we are missionaries, and I agree with Larry. When we say this prayer, we are missionaries because mission begins with prayer. Missions need planning, they need fundraisers, they need visions and goals, but most importantly, missions need people on their knees asking, begging God to send out laborers into the harvest. The reason we are on our knees is because, as the story points out, the laborers are few. The image that Jesus is drawing on is the image of a harvest. And at the time of harvest, day laborers from all around would be lining up to be able to work Because that was the only way they were going to make a wage for that day. And the people would come and say, I need you and you and you. And they would come. And there was an abundance of workers trying to get these jobs. And what Jesus is saying is that there's the same harvest going on in the world. But when I look out, the people are few and it's hard to select them. And I need God to raise up people that I can send out into that harvest. But it's difficult to find people to go. And the reason is because it's not as popular. The numbers are dwindling, people are arguing, and those willing to engage in the discipleship of the world are few. The reason we begin in prayer is because it's the Lord's harvest, and we pray that he will raise someone up to go into the fields. The second reason that we pray and that mission begins with prayer is that because God is sending us out as sheep among wolves, this is no easy task. He's sending us literally to the wolves. It's not a simple errand, but difficult. Listen to the command he gives the 72, what he commands them not to take. He says, don't take a money bag. 
Don't take a knapsack. Don't take sandals. Apparently, for God, it's no shoes, no shirt, no money, no problems. But this is a little difficult for me to handle. I want to come back to God and say, God, this is cruel. You're wanting to send me on a trip, and I want to prepare. I want to equip myself fully to be able to go out into this task. And he says, I want you to take nothing. It's difficult for me because it sounds like Jesus wants to leave me naked and alone, trying to survive out in the dangerous world all by myself. And it makes me think, no wonder the laborers are few. I wouldn't want to sign up for that either. This past week, I was in class at, at Harding School of Theology, and we had a week intensive, so I was in class every day from 8 to 4. Uh, and during lunch on Tuesday, I had the privilege of going out to eat uh, with two campus ministers and, and a church planter. And we were talking about our different ministries, and, and the two uh, campus ministers were, were talking about how difficult it is to work in campus ministry. See, they're trying to, to bring together people of faith on college campuses all around, uh, all across the United States. And they're saying it's difficult because oftentimes Christian high schoolers don't want to go to state schools. They want to go to Christian high schools. And parents want to send their kids to Christian colleges because they want them to be in a safe, protected environment. They want them to go there and they want them to be able to find a Christian spouse. There's good reasons to send your kids to Christian colleges. But what they're saying is, is I'm in a harvest field that needs laborers. He said, I'm in a place and I pray this prayer daily that God will raise up people to send them to this state school so that they can work in this field. And I wonder if some of us are willing to go. And that is why mission begins in prayer. It allows us to completely depend on God. You see, God doesn't send us out alone but he goes ahead of us as the good shepherd. With his rod and his staff, God goes before us. And when we begin our mission in prayer, we are reminded of who goes before us, no matter where we are sent, no matter how dangerous. This missional prayer has been prayed for almost 2,000 years. God commanded his disciples to pray this prayer. So for 2,000 years, this prayer has been prayed. It's crazy to think how long, by how many people, this prayer has been prayed. And when we think about it, every single person in this room is a fulfillment to that prayer. People before us have prayed, God, raise up people to go, and we are the answer to that prayer. And because we are the answer to that prayer, we are also called to participate in this mission of prayer to say, God, send forth laborers into your harvest. But the more we pray this prayer, that God will raise people up, we realize that we're called by the very prayer that we are praying. See, the mission begins with prayer, and that prayer sends out God's people. And those disciples, when they heard this prayer of Jesus, they were sent out two by two into the villages that Jesus was about to go. And the rest of the ch uh, chapter gives their response and their report when they come back to Jesus. So let's continue reading there in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and, and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but they did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. See, the disciples have gone out two by two, and they've, they've, they've done great things. When they've gone and they've proclaimed this message of peace, and different towns have received it, they've been able to speak, and people have been healed. When they've gone into these towns with this message of peace, they've been able to go and cast out demons. They've been able to see the kingdom of God come to earth. And they return to Jesus rejoicing, and they say, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us and what Jesus says in response is absolutely amazing. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God near and when he sent the disciples out two by two, they went with the authority of the king and through their work, Satan's kingdom was toppled. Through their work, through their mission, Satan was dethroned and cast out of heaven. And through our work, through our being sent out, God continues to work to loosen Satan's stranglehold on the world. And when we go out in this mission of prayer, we cast down Satan from heaven. And because of that, there's reason to rejoice. See, mission begins in prayer, but it ends in praise. That same lunch with the the campus ministers and, and the church planter, uh, we were talking about some of our successes. And the church planter is up in New Jersey, and he just recently had finished uh, a church plant. It was successful, and so they decided to start another one uh, just a little bit across town in New Jersey as well. And about the time that they were starting it, and they were, they were bathing it in prayer, asking God to come in and work in this church, to grow this church in the city, about that same time as when Hurricane Sandy came through. And we saw the devastation that, that Sandy had upon the Northeast, all the problems and all the devastation that it caused for the people there. And, and it almost seemed like they were asking God, why did you do this to us right as we're trying to start this church? Why are you making it more difficult on people? Although they didn't ask for the hurricane, God worked in that. And their church became a base of operations for resource needs. Now he can go places in that city and people know him because of how God has used him. And he said, I spent time and time again asking God to use us. And they became a resource. God put them out into a field and he is reaping a harvest a hundredfold. Just like the disciples were to rejoice that their names were written in heaven, we come here every Sunday and we give praise to God for our salvation. When we come back to our brothers and sisters, we rejoice together in the salvation of God. But when the last song is sung, when the last hug is given, and we are go back into the fields, we are sent by God to work in his harvest. When we leave, we are sent with a message of peace that may or may not be received by the world, but we are still called to go no matter how dangerous, no matter how difficult the situation, because God goes before us. Today, before you leave here, I hope that you will bathe your life and your mission in prayer. Tomorrow when you get up in the morning, I ask that you pray this prayer. God, send forth your laborers into the harvest that he may raise, other, raise up other people, but that he may in fact be raising you up to go into his field this week. But not only that, I ask you to remember to keep in mind Chris and Eric and all those who are in China. 
We've been praying uh, for several years now that, about this mission opportunity in China. And today, uh, Chris and Eric and, and, and a group are in uh, Wuhan, China, the third largest city in China. In fact, Eric, just to show the big time difference, Eric preached a sermon for evening worship about three hours ago. <laughs> We've been bathing this in prayer. Mission begins in prayer, and I ask that you would join us. But it also ends in rejoicing. And our names are written in heaven, and because of that, we can give praise and thanks to God. But I ask that you remember to take up that prayer and bathe your life and your mission in prayer. Let's go to God. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story. God, that when we look out into a world that seems to be turning its back on you, that we know that you are still raising up people, that you are still raising up your disciples to go out into the world to proclaim this message of peace. God, I pray that, that you will send everyone in here, that we will take this message seriously and urgently and go out and proclaim this message to a world that desperately needs it. God, I pray that we will join the chorus of the many who go before us and the many who come after us who say, God, send forth laborers out into your harvest. And God, please be with Eric and Chris and Luana and all those who are working to find a place to work in your harvest in China. God, we're thankful that you go before us. God, we're thankful that you go with us even into the difficult situations that lie before us. God, we know that you are with us and that you will bring us back safe and sound. God, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy.